Let's stand together and let's open our Bibles to Matthew chapter 7. Today we begin a, a series of lessons that's going to take us uh, through the summer as we talk about being built to last. If you've been around the church for a long time, the church world for a long time, you've seen people. Jesus warns about it. He tells us about how the seed is planted and, and some grows and bears fruit and some is stolen away and lost. You, you've seen uh, where people come in and get a touch of God upon their life, live for God for a while, and then uh, they don't last. That should give a little bit of a chill to every one of us to say, how do I build my life? How do I build my family? How do I, do I build faith in my home so that it will last? It'll last every test and every storm and every trial. And that's what we're going to spend some time talking about over the next about eight weeks together as we head into the fall of the year. And uh, we want to encourage you to be a part of that and to be listening. If you miss a Sunday, jump online and listen. There's going to be various speakers speaking through this time. And so we believe this is going to bring some truth really home to every one of our hearts. But let's start today in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24, as we begin to talk about being built to last. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had, its, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house. And it fell and great was the fall of it. Father, we thank you for your word and the teachings that you give us and the clear revelation of your son's teachings. And we pray you let our lives be built to last. Father, let us build upon the solid rock and let us walk in your truth and let our homes and our children's lives and our lives, Father, be built to stand in whatever storm may come our way. Help us today, guide us today, reveal your word to us and give us freedom to share it in Jesus' name. Amen. In Luke chapter 15, the Lord uh, tells us a story, Jesus tells us a story that reveals to us the very nature of God the Father. It reveals to us who He is towards us. Most of us have heard the story many times, but I want us to think about it uh, again this morning. The story is about two brothers working with their dad. The younger brother is uh, kind of a challenge in the home. Uh, you've, you've met the younger brother, I'm sure. He's, he's a know-it-all. He doesn't have much experience in life, but he thinks he has it all figured out. He doesn't listen to anybody else. He's not interested in anybody else's opinion. He thinks he's got it all together. And one day this younger brother comes to the father and says, uh, give me my inheritance. I want it now. I don't need any of this stuff anymore. I can do it on my own. In this day, that would have meant uh, typically if there were two brothers, the older brother would have gotten the double portion of the inheritance, and the younger brother 
would have gotten uh, one portion of the inheritance and uh, would have been able to walk away with this. The younger brother's attitude is one of self-indulgence. He doesn't want to be held back on the farm any longer. He sees all of this as foolishness. He's smarter than everybody else. He dreams of the bright city lights and the excitement of the day. And he takes his inheritance and off he goes. It's not long until he's out in this place and he discovers that all of the things that he thought he knew, he didn't know so well. He begins to discover that he didn't have any, much, he didn't have any experience. And before long, everything that was his in the inheritance is gone. He has blown through it with no thought of, the, of, of tomorrow. Suddenly the money has run out, but there's a lot of life left. He has to find a job, but all that is available is caring for the pigs. Now, now I want you to think about this. This is a, a Jewish audience at this moment listening to this story. And to care for the pigs, Jesus could not have picked a lower job, a more disgusting job than what he picked in telling the story. He was doing work that was not only dirty work, but it was with unclean animals. He, it was seen as a curse. And yet this young man now, who was once at this pinnacle where he had an inheritance, he is now so bad off that he longs to eat what they feed the pigs. It was a startling story, a startling picture that Jesus has drawn of a foolish fall from comfort. This boy has totally wrecked his life. He's lost his inheritance. He is in the lowliest of conditions imaginable, homeless, filthy, lost, with nothing to fall back on, all is gone. One day, this boy who thought he was so bright and thought he had so much experience comes to clarity. He realizes that even in his father's house, that the servants, even the servants, are better off than he is. But he left in such pride he walked away with such arrogance. He took all of his inheritance and has now blown it. But finally he realized that all that, was, all that was meant to be that he lost and he longs, desires to go home. However, he doesn't see a way. How will he be received he has a right at that moment to expect nothing. But can he live any longer in the way he's living? He sits there in this moment with all lost and pride destroyed and his arrogance wrecked. <laughs> and he decides, I'm not even worthy to be called his son. The way I have lived and acted has been an embarrassment to my family. The way I've conducted my life is insulting 
to all that my father offered me. But back in the back of his mind, he realizes, that's a good man. I can try to go back. I can never expect to be called a son. Maybe, maybe he will let me be a servant. He is in desperate and humiliating circumstances, but off to home he goes. As as he travels back to the old family farm, he wonders what he's going to find. Will he face a slammed door? Will he hear the words, you made your bed, now you've got to lie in it? Will there be harsh words? My only son is here. I have no other son. Will he, be, will, will he be told, be gone with you? Will he hear the arrogant words, I told you so? And he decides that whatever he faces, however harsh the word, however challenging the word, he will bow to it. It's his only hope. He sees no other way. He will simply beg to be allowed to be a servant in the household. He expects no more. He can only hope in that hour that he will not be totally rejected. Most of us know the rest of the story, and this is a great revelation of our condition our condition before God the Father and the revelation of the nature of the Father. I want to say that again. It's a great picture of our condition before the Father that somehow we seem to miss sometimes. And a great revelation of the nature of the Father. For what we find in that picture in the next few moments is that instead of the Father being harsh and angry, The father is looking for his return, hoping for the son to come home. He left in pride and he left with wealth. He left with his inheritance. He left full of himself. But now he returns broken, filthy, damaged by life, wealth squandered, clothes ragged, humiliated. But the father looks through the dirt. He looks through the destruction. And somehow he recognizes his son. And instead of disgust and anger over his foolishness, instead of him making him come groveling to his feet, the father rushes to the son, throws his arms around him and weeps on his shoulder, kisses him and says to the other servants, get the finest clothes we have. Get a ring to put upon his finger. Kill the fatted calf. Let's have a party. What a picture of the Father when we come to him. He looks and he he thinks in his mind, this is no time to pile on the boy's failures. It's, time of, it's a time of joy. It's a time of celebration. And it's a time of restoration. Let's celebrate. But now, instead of feeling like he deserves a party that he felt like he deserved when he left, instead of the pride that once ruled all of his decisions, Instead of the all-knowing arrogance that clouded his thoughts, 
the boy sees clearly. Now what the boy had missed, what he had missed as a boy, growing up in the favor of the father, he sees with clarity. When he was at home, he would smirk at the dad's foolishness. He would laugh at the dad's simplicity. Why was the father so blind? Why does he expect these things out of me? But now he know, the boy knows the truth. He was the one who was blind, and dad saw clearly all along. And the boy has changed. He says, no, father. I'm not worthy to be called your son. I have simply come to see if I could join the hired hands and be a servant in your household. The boy's heart has been transformed as Jesus reveals to us the, the heart of the Father. He also shows us the transformation that's happened in the boy's heart. But now, once again, the father cries out through, the, through tears, No, you are my son that was lost, but now is found. What a great father Jesus reveals to us. What a clear picture of a right heart before God that he shows us in this picture when we come to him. And I want to tell you today, the pathway to being built to lost, built to last, does not begin with a set of rules to impose upon our lives. The pathway to having a heart that is built to last is not built on a set of rituals that we must practice. The person who is built to last is the person whose character and nature has been transformed and comes humbly to the Father who loves them and will lift them up. Throughout the next eight weeks here on Sunday, and then for those who want to go deeper for the rest of the year on Wednesday night, we're going to take a look at Jesus's teaching and his pathway to a life that is built to last. There's no clearer teaching on this point than what we find in Matthew 5 through 7 and what we call the Sermon on the Mount, the true foundation of the kingdom Jesus came to establish is laid out in these couple of chapters in this great sermon that Jesus delivers to the people. What's been happening at this time is Jesus has begun his public ministry. He's been going through Galilee, preaching and teaching and healing the sick, touching people's lives. Crowds are now beginning to seek him out because of the miracles. They've seen demons cast out and the sick are healed. And this is all happening by the Sea of Galilee. You know, we, we call it a, a sea. The, the Bible calls it a sea. It's it's really about seven miles long and about 14 miles wide. But it's surrounded by fishing villages. And Jesus has been going around teaching and preaching and healing the sick. And they've begun to follow him. He proceeds up what they call a, a mountain. It's not like the Rockies or something like that. Most of these would be something we would call more like foothills. It's a large hill that looks out over the sea. We've been to the site. Many of you in this room have been to the site. 
that's, tradition, that's the traditional site that people think is where the Sermon on the Mount was delivered. And it's a, a beautiful picture of a place where Jesus could, could sit and teach to a large crowd. As the crowds spread out below him, Jesus finds a big rock and he takes a seat on this rock. This is not unusual in the day. The rabbis of the day, when they were speaking with authority or teaching with authority, they would always do that sitting. They didn't stand to do that. It, it, it was more casual. Their words would be seen as more casual if they were standing. It would be more like a debate, like the many times when they came and questioned Jesus. You know, this, this kind of carries on in our thought process today in our major universities. We speak of professors. What do they hold? They hold a chair. It's the signifies an, an honored position from which they teach. So Jesus, in taking a seat, was now saying to them, I'm going to speak and I'm going to teach with the authority of a teacher. In the teaching of the day, the rabbis would quote, recognize sources, writings of other rabbis or the Talmud or other, other things that would back up what they were saying. Much like someone like me, I might quote C.S. Lewis or some other author or teacher that would be recognizable to you to back up a point in a message. To say, see, this is what others say about this subject as well. But as you listen to Jesus' teaching, they are amazed because he didn't use any of those references. Jesus would put it this way. You have heard or you have been told, but I say unto you. And as you walk through this great sermon on the mount, Time and again, Jesus says, you've been taught this, but I say unto you. When you get to the end of this sermon and they're amazed at the, the way he teaches with authority, that's what they're talking about. He is taking his own words. He is teaching out of his own power. He's teaching out of his own knowledge. And he's saying, I am telling you there's a different way. He's trying to lay before us a way that our lives can be built to last, that can live rightly in the kingdom. Jesus introduces a new way of living, a new worldview, a new way to comprehend how the world works. And at the end of this message, he gives us a word picture. It's of two houses. They're built. They look the same. They're beautiful. But one of these houses is built on sand. And one of these houses is built on a rock. And when the storms of life come, only one of them is built to last. I want you to hear this clearly today. Safety is not in the hearing Many people here, many heard that day. Many were able to quote the words that Jesus said when it was over. But here's where it gets a little more complicated. As we will see as we walk through this great sermon in the weeks to come, it's not even 
Safety is not even in the doing. Safety, being built to last, is in the being. He starts this message with eight character traits that people in the new kingdom must possess. He does not begin with some achievable action. But what Jesus begins with is a revelation of the character of the kingdom builder. How the kingdom builder, the kingdom follower, sees himself, how he sees the Father, how he approaches the Father, what's deeply embedded in his nature. So much of it is counter to our culture, counter to the way that we're we're raised in the kingdom of the world. He teaches us a new way to see ourselves. And we've got to understand how serious Jesus put this to them. Listen to this quote at the end of the teaching, just before he talks about the two houses. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, one of the most frightening passages of Scripture, I think, one of the most startling chap, uh, passages of Scripture that, that I think we can read. A, a passage that should cause all of us to stop and say, wait, let me examine my life. Listen to what he says. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, and this is where it really gets tough, On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me. You workers of lawlessness. It's not just in the hearing. And he says it here. It's not just in the doing. It's in do I know you. Do you know me? Wow. Now the eight points that we're going to talk about over these next eight Sundays, this is not a pick and choose list. You know, when you study the, the gifts of the Spirit, you hear, well, some people have this gift and some people have that gift and others have this one over here. And that, some people got that one and, you know, the body comes together and we're whole because the church comes together and we all use our different gifts to build each other up and to strengthen each other. That's what a church does. But when you read the fruit of the Spirit, it's not that way at all. It's not that some people have, should have joy and some people should have love and other people should have peace. No, we should have all of them. Every person is supposed to to let all the fruit of the Spirit grow in their life. And when you look at these, what we call the Beatitudes, these eight character traits, these are not things that say, well, I think I'll take that one. I think I'm pretty good at that one, so I'm okay. No, this is a total package kind of deal. This is what the kingdom dweller is like in total. This is who he is. This is a total package of the character of the believer, and they build upon one another. 
So next week as we begin to talk about this, we'll lay the basic foundation as these begin to come together in our life and as we seek them and know them, how they begin to hold together one another and build the character of Christ inside of us. To, have, to leave one out is to leave a portion of the foundation unbuilt. And yet as we read them, the honest person has to ask, how do we rewrite the character that's already imprinted on our hearts? How, how, do, we, how do we achieve this? Are, are we literally locked out? Has Jesus shown us the great prize through an impenetrable glass wall? Is it like visiting the crown jewels where you can, they can be just a few feet away and you can see them? You're able to admire them? You gaze upon them sparkling in the lights that shine upon them? You wonder at their beauty? You'd love to touch them, but they're right there, and they're right there close at hand. But they're unreachable. You can't get to them. Is this what Jesus is doing to us? Is Jesus looking at us and saying, here's the character of a real follower, of a real kingdom dweller. Here they are, you poor broken creatures. Here's what a blessed life would look like and be like but you will always be on the outside looking in. No. No. He says the builder has to build on the rock. Who's the rock? Jesus is the rock. We don't build on rules. We don't build on regulations. We don't build on rituals. No, we reach out in faith to Jesus. We see how far we are from the glory of God. And we fall on the great work of Jesus for our lives. This is where it, will, where it starts. And this is where we will begin in the next few weeks. We begin with this recognition of the poverty of our condition, of how lost we are. We come dependent upon him and mourn over our condition. We see ourselves, we begin to recognize ourselves in the face of his wisdom and his glory and how magnificent he is. We begin to recognize ourselves as the son in the pig pen who doesn't deserve it. The pride has to be swept away. The arrogance has to be pushed away. Any, any sense of we know what we should do and what the Father should do is a little antiquated. All of that junk has to be gone. No, the true kingdom dweller knows that he is unworthy, but he still comes back to the Father. For anything with the Father is better than anything without him. 
and we get this picture of God the Father who looks past our filth, who looks past our insults, who looks past our pride, and through Jesus, he sees in us a victor. He sees in us an overcomer. He sees a prophet in the making. He sees the light shining through the darkness. He sees the life that can be transformed because our lives are built on the rock. Listen, friend, this is not because we grasp for the jewels, but because we fall broken on the rock, unworthy, without demand, with no expectation except to be a servant, recognizing that the heart, with the heart of a servant, recognize that we have been pulled, drowning in a cesspool of corruption by a glorious king who humbled himself to touch us in our filth and disease and to give us new life. We want the old man swept away and we want the new man built in us. A people walking through life crying out, worthy is the lamb who was slain. I owe all to him. And I hold nothing for myself. And even as we find ourselves dressed in new spotless robes, we never admire ourselves, but we see ourselves as serving the one who chose us and cleansed us and put new robes upon us. Those are the ones. The ones who come that way to the Father. The one who sees how broken he is, how helpless he is, how much he's failed the Father. That's the one who can be built to last. It's a hard issue. In the next weeks, we will unpack each layer of the Beatitudes and let the Spirit of God speak to us. But here's my assignment for you today. If you're serious about this, you really want to grow, here's my assignment. Every day this week, start, start your day. Get your Bibles out and read Matthew chapter 5, 1 through 11. Just 11 verses. Read the Beatitudes every day. And as you read the Beatitudes every day, pray this prayer. God, over the next weeks, form your character in me and let these truths grow in my spirit. Help me be the person of character you want me to be so I can be built to last. Right now, the usher is going to get communion, and we're going to share communion together this morning. And this is a reminder to us as we come here, as you hold these emblems in your hand in the next few moments. We're reminded that Jesus did a work for us. He did a total work for us. We come, all of us, like the sun out of the pig pen to a father who's looking for us because the son, his son, has paid the perfect price for us. Ushers, would you come and serve us, please?
There's a place where mercy reigns and never dies. There's a place where streams of grace flow deep and wide. Where all the love I've ever found Comes like a flood Comes flowing down At the cross, at the cross I surrender my life I'm in all Presents the blood, blood uh, the, the bread, and hold it in your hand. Do you see the hopelessness of our position? A perfect God, 
and you and I caught in the pig pen of the slime of the corruption of our nature. And yet through his son, he offers a way for us to come to him where he can throw his arms around us and begin to heal us and make us whole. Pride destroys that in us. Arrogance has to be left aside. And we have to humbly come and receive him in our life. And today, as you stand here today, maybe you come in here with illness and body, sickness and body. Maybe you come in here with emotional issues in life or big stresses in life. But we know that this, that Jesus comes into us to give us life to the full and to heal us. Lord, in these moments, as we hold this symbol that, rec- that, that speaks of the broken body of your son, we stand amazed that you rush to us so that any of us, Father, who want to come to you will find you with open arms. Father, there's some in here who need a physical touch in their body today, and we just simply pray for them that you would touch them today as we partake of this. There's some who have addictions in their body that need to be broken, need to be set free. And Father, we pray that in the days ahead that we'll hear stories of people who, whose habits and old addictions fell away right at this moment. Because hopeless and helpless, they threw themselves in your arms. And you delivered them and put a new ring upon their finger. Father, we pray uh, for those today who, who need direction in life and the enemy seems to be disrupting their life and instead of walking in the blessing of your spirit, they're not seeing that blessing. They're not seeing the fullness of your will in their life. Uh, that today, Father, they would just humble themselves before you as servants and allow you to pick them up as sons and daughters. We receive this today as a sign saying we want to build our lives on the rock. We throw ourselves on the rock. We don't build in ritual. We don't build in rules. We don't build in legalism. We build in faith on the rock. Jesus, our Savior. And we receive this, remembering what he did so we could do that. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's receive together. The cup... The blood represents the blood of Christ that covers our sin, that cleanses us from unrighteousness, that takes every stain, no matter how deep it may be, and washes it out because greater is the blood of the Lamb than any stain we've done, anything that comes out of our heart. And that blood washes into us to cleanse the old man and to give us new birth. So we can be new creatures in Christ Jesus. Not the same as the old, transformed by him. 
Friends, if you've never asked Christ into your life, now is the hour. Just ask him to be the savior of your life. Ask him to forgive you of your sin. He is waiting to rush to you. For those of us who have done that, let's always, always remember we're able to stand before God not because of anything we've done, but because of everything he did. Amen? Father, we hold this cup in our hands with great joy. That, Father, we don't have some standard to try to live up to because, Lord, we know we could never do it. We could never get there. It's greater than us. But, Lord, we receive this work in our lives, and we ask you to rewrite the nature of our spirit. Let us come to clarity today of the poverty of our spirit so we can walk in the richness of life in you. Lord, we want to build our lives upon the rock of Jesus. Let us do that today with no pride, with no arrogance, with no selfishness, but with the hearts of servants. We receive this in Jesus' name. Amen.